This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. You're invited to join us at our worship assemblies each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. If you think back to last uh, Sunday evening, Brother David talked about the first lie, and he talked about lies that the devil will tell us, and, and certainly there are many of those, and that, that complicates our life. If everybody would just tell us the truth, if the devil would tell us the truth, and, and our, our friends would tell us the truth, and our, our brothers and sisters would tell us the truth, and the world would tell us the truth, it would be much, much easier to navigate through this life. But that's just not the case. In fact... People even today will say there's no such thing as truth. And they'll talk about my truth and your truth and everything's relative. And just because something's true to you doesn't mean it's true to me. And that's, that's the kind of information we get now. And that complicates things a great, great deal. And it, it makes it to where as, as children of God, as followers of Christ Jesus, we have to dedicate ourselves to seeking the truth. We've got to seek it. We've got to search for it. We've got to be diligent in our efforts to seek and to find the truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses number 3 and 4, it says, For the time shall come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Paul in his admonition to Timothy He's teaching him about how to be an evangelist. He's teaching him about how to go about living life. And he says, really, there's going to come a day. And I don't think that day was in the too distant future from when Paul said this to Timothy. We talk about it as it's some new concept, as it's some new thing. I think Paul's telling Timothy, hey, we're, we're on the cusp of this happening, that people don't necessarily want to endure sound doctrine. They're going to hear the sound doctrine or the truth of the, of the word of God and, and that's going to bother them. And they're not going to want to hear that. And he says instead of the sound doctrine, they're going to, of their own lust, bring about people who will teach and, and tell them things that tickle their ears. That are the things they want to hear that are their truth instead of the truth, you see. He said they were going to do that and they were going to turn away their ears from what? They were going to turn away their ears from the truth. And they were going to turn them into fables. They're, Paul tells Timothy there's, there's two buckets you can fit anything in. You can either fit it in the truth bucket, it's the truth. Or you can fit it in the fables bucket, it's, it's just a fable. Something made up. Something other than the truth. Not the truth. Something different than the truth. Something that sounds wonderful and easy and magnificent and yet it's just a fairy tale. It's a fable. And we hear that and see that all the time. People want to make up their own pathway to heaven. They want to make up their own chart through this life. And it's nothing but a fairy tale. It's a fable. It's not the truth. And we've got to be people... That seek the truth. And Lord willing, we're going to talk about this for the next several times that I have the opportunity to, to speak. We're going to talk about seeking truth. Today, we're going to focus on what is the truth. We've got to understand what the truth is and where we can find truth. And when we know where we can find truth, then we can start to seek it. And then in the future, we'll talk about the process of seeking truth and then how we would go about submitting to the truth. So our question today is, what is truth? What is it? Is there such a thing as absolute truth? 
People want to say that there's not. That, that there's no such thing. That you can't find anything that will give you absolute truth. But as children of God, we know better, don't we? We know differently than that. There is a place we can find absolute truth. There are places that we can turn to find absolute truth. Webster's would define truth as the quality or state of being true. Truth's just one of those words that's hard to define, isn't it? You've got to use the word true to define truth. So what is true? What is true? Well, it defines true as something that's in accordance with fact or reality, something that is accurate or exact. So when we're talking about truth, we're talking about something that is accurate, something that is fact, something that is exact. Where can we find that? Where can we turn for that? You know, Pilate asked that question. In John chapter 18, verses 37 and 38, Jesus is, is uh, being questioned by Pilate. And it says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou the king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? He's got the Messiah right there in front of him. And he says, are you the king then? Is all this fuss, is all this mess that they're making, are you really the king? And Jesus said, you say I'm a king. He said, this is the reason I was born. It's the reason I came into this world. It's the reason that I'm here, that I could bear witness unto what? Bear witness unto the truth. Jesus Christ has the truth. That's no shocker to you folks that are here today, is it? You're not shocked to hear that Jesus Christ has the truth. But we've got to believe that with all our heart. And we've got to turn there before anywhere else if we're going to seek the truth. Because Christ has the truth. Pilate said, what is it? What is the truth? Well, let's think back to 2 Timothy for a minute. We read in 2 Timothy that there was truth and there was fables. That's the two buckets that you have. But we live in an era today that's called the post-truth era. In 2016, there was a word of the year. Oxford came out with a word of the year every year. And way back in 2016, we're talking six years ago now, their word of the year was post-truth. And they defined post-truth as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Facts are not important. That just doesn't register with me. But to some, facts are not important. They want my truth. I don't care about the facts. I want something that feels good. I don't care about what your truth is or what God says or Christ says. I want my facts, my truth. Can't be both. It's truth or fables. And if you're making something up, you know, I'm not really, really smart guy, but if you're just making something up, it's probably not the truth. Probably not the truth. Let's lay that definition of post-truth up against 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. And it looks pretty similar, doesn't it? Paul says to Timothy, after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Post-truth says that objective facts are less influential in shaping opinion than what uh, appeals of emotion or personal belief. I want to tell you something tonight. Your belief does not make something true. 
It doesn't matter what you believe just because you believe it. With all your heart and with all your soul, just because you believe something, that does not make it the truth. You see, there are objective facts, and we've just got to know where to turn to and find them. Paul calls them sound doctrine. There's sound doctrine. There's a place we can look and find objective fact. There's a place we can find truth. There's a place we can turn to have everything that we need. The problem is that if we're going to seek truth, we've got to be willing to submit to that. We've got to put away our personal beliefs. We've got to put away our emotions, our appeals of emotion. And we've got to turn to the objective facts that tell us what the truth is. I want to read another passage of Scripture in 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, we, we read these words. John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. <laughs> John says you can't believe everything you hear. You ever heard that before? We spend a lot of time telling our kids, you can't believe everything that you hear. You can't believe everything on the Internet. Google doesn't take you to the right answer every time. You know, we, we depend on Google a lot. It answers a lot of questions. But sometimes it'll throw something out there that's just as false as it can possibly be. It's not real. It's an artificial intelligence. And then you get somebody else in there that has a, an agenda and they want to twist the truth, and they want to turn the truth. And John says, brothers and sisters, don't believe everybody. Don't believe everyone. He says, try the spirits because many false prophets are gone out in the world. And so now John's going to lay another layer on this. There's truth and there's fables. There's truth and there's falsehoods. How many true-false tests have you taken in your life? Those used to be really popular. I don't know if they give the kids true-false tests so much anymore. Because they're pretty easy. You read the question and you answer, yes, that is true or no, that is false. We know from a very young age there's these two possibilities. And yet today we want to take and say, no, no, that can't be false. That's just my truth. That's just not what it is. And, and John goes further in this last line here. He says, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. He says, I'm going to tell you how you can know when something is truth or when something is false. And he's going to go ahead and show us that. He says, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come in, that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. All right, so John says, step one, you want to know if something's true or if something's false? He said, do they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Do they confess Christ? Are they a follower of Christ? They confess that he's come into this world. He said, if they do, then that's true. And if they don't, if they don't confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, that's false. And that's pretty simple stuff, isn't it? But you know, today we've got to apply that. We've got to apply it because there's a whole lot of religions. There's a whole lot of people that follow God, supposedly, that will not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And then you've got people that will deny that Christ Jesus was the Messiah. They'll say he was a good man, maybe even a prophet. 
Some will say he was just a liar altogether, that he just drew away followers after himself. That's not true. John says this is how we know the spirit of truth the spirit, uh, or the spirit of falsehood. He said, we know Jesus has come in the flesh. All right, we go on. He says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. All right, here's kind of the next phase of this passage of Scripture. He contrasts being of God and being of the world. He's saying if it's of God, it's true. This is how we know something is true. This is how we know something's of God. If you're of God, that's true. If you're of the world, that's false. That's living a falsehood. That's following a false teacher. And so we see another step there. And he goes on and says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. And I want you to notice this last line here. He says, hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So he says, these are the things that will help us know and understand. So you think back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We know we have these two buckets, truth and fables. And then we begin to overlay John's uh, teaching in 1 John chapter 4 with that. We have the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Those are the two things that we have. The spirit of error, that's all just fables and fairy tales. That's all just made up junk. And the spirit of truth is of God. And he says, how do we know that? Those that would confess Jesus. Those that follow Christ. Those that are of God. I, you know, it's going to take a little while to talk completely about being of God. That's not just believing in God. He says, when we are of God. When we follow the teachings of God Almighty, when we've submitted ourselves to God Almighty, when we follow Him with our complete heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's being of God. That's truth. And when they hear the Word, he, John said, when they hear us, a man inspired of God, a man that wrote these words of inspiration, inspired by the Holy Ghost, he said, when they hear us, when they hear that Word, that's truth. And so we have three very simple things that begin to take shape. What is truth? Christ is truth. What is truth? God Almighty's truth. What is truth? The Word of God is truth. Those things are truth. They're absolute. They're unwavering. They're unchanging. We can take that to the bank and we can depend on it every day of our life. And he contrasts that with those that would not confess Christ, those that are of the world and those that refuse to hear the Word. He says that's false. That's the spirit of error. Hereby we know the spirit of truth. And the spirit of error. We can know that. It doesn't have to be cloudy for us. It doesn't have to be any doubt. Are you seeking the truth in those ways? In those areas? Are you looking to Christ? Are you looking to God? Are you looking to the word? Let's go over those things real quickly. Christ Jesus is the truth. Matthew 22 and verse 16. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Master, we know that thou art true. And teach us the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. He said, Master, we know you're true. Christ Jesus is true. There's no doubt about that. 
John 1 and verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. That's the master we serve. That's Jesus Christ our Lord, folks. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And we've got to seek the truth in him. No other place, no other way. Jesus went so far to say it in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only way to life. We've got to go to God through him. God the Father is truth. In Exodus 34 and 6, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's God Almighty. That's the God we serve. That's the God who's the architect of the universe, who put us into play, who breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. He is full and abundant in goodness and in truth. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 3, it says, Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe you greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. God Almighty is truth. We can take that to the bank. We can count on that every day. And the inspired word is truth. John 17 and 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing what? The word of truth. The word is true. Every page of it, every paragraph of it, every chapter, verse, it's true. And we've got to handle it in a proper way because it is what we can turn to to find the truth. You're never going to read a lie in the pages of Scripture. Now, people will take it and twist it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But the Word is true. All that's pretty simple, isn't it? So why do things get complicated? <laughs> why do we have to seek after the truth if it's so plain and easy? John paints it out for us in such a simple manner. It's Christ, it's God, it's the Word. Why does it get complicated? One of the reasons that it gets complicated is because the truth hurts, doesn't it? The truth hurts sometimes. We've got folks up on the prayer list. And some of those folks on that long-term prayer list were sitting there one day. And they got uh, a word from a doctor that said, you have cancer. And sometimes they say that cancer is treatable. And then sometimes they come and say... There's nothing we can do. And I think about folks that have had to hear that and what that must sound like. I've never had to hear anything like that. We can't do anything. That hurts. That hurts. But it's the truth. And just because you want to deny that or make up something different or imagine something different, it's a fable, it's a fairy tale. And to think that, boom, you're miraculously going to get better, that's a fairy tale. It's a fable. And yet we'll hear that we are holy and altogether wrapped up in sin, and the diagnosis is death, for the wages of sin is death. And we'll hear that message, and it hurts. It hurts bad. 
But we'll just make up our own truth. Well, then God don't care about sin. And God will overlook sin. And God won't punish me for sin. We make it up. Truth hurts. So we make up a different reality, a false reality, a falsehood. And we heap and find people that will preach to us that everything's okay and it doesn't matter if you sin. And that you can live however you want to live. We like that. It's just false. It's just a fairy tale. It's just a fable. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, the soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word is sharp, and it cuts. It cuts like a knife. In Acts 7 and verse 54, uh, as uh, Stephen preached here, it says that when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. When the word cuts you, you can do one of two things with it. You can be like the people did with Peter in Acts 2. And you can let it cut you and you can say, what do I do now? How do I change? How do I find the truth? Or you can be like these folks were in Acts 7. And when it cuts to the heart, you can run up to the preacher and, and pound him and beat him. What good did that do? Well, they found him another preacher that said, hey, how you're living's okay. They go on with life and not worry about it. That's not seeking truth. But truth is complicated because it does hurt us sometimes. In Galatians 4 and 16, Paul said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? He said, I'm telling you the truth here. Some things that you need to change. Some things that you need to do differently. And brothers and sisters, if we are truth seekers, when we are cut, when the truth hurts, we will not ignore the truth but we will find a way to mold and shape ourselves into that truth. We can't be willing to let something that hurts us cause us to not obey the truth. The second reason I think the truth gets complicated is because of that old devil, isn't it? Because he learned from the very beginning how to twist the truth. How to just put a little spin on it. Change it just a little bit. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know what Satan told her was partially true. God did know that in the day that they ate of that fruit, that their eyes would be open, that they would know good and evil. God did know that. God was trying to protect them from that very thing. God was trying to protect them from that evil that would befall them when they did know good and evil. When they did have that knowledge. And when they did, as associated with that knowledge, have that responsibility then to choose good. Because he knew they couldn't do it. He knew the heart of man. He knew that they would choose evil. But Satan put that little twist in there. And it made the truth just difficult enough to find, just difficult enough to understand that they went ahead and chose a falsehood. They went ahead and chose a lie. Satan did the same thing to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 6. And he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Satan says to Jesus, I know the word. And in the book of Psalms, chapter 91, verses 11 and 12, it says those very words. For he shall give his angels charge over thee 
to keep thy way, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Satan didn't, he didn't misquote the scripture. He just misused the scripture. He misapplied the scripture. He took it out of its place, out of its context, and we'll talk about that more when we talk about the, the process of seeking truth. But he twisted it just enough. He didn't even have to misquote it in order to twist it. He just used it how he thought he wanted to use it. Jesus, of course, saw right through that. It didn't faze him for a moment. And if we know the scriptures, if we're seeking truth, we'll recognize when somebody's trying to misuse or misapply the scriptures. I want to notice in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, a particular phrase. It says here, But I have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, now listen here, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You can handle the word deceitfully. You can handle the word dishonestly. You can take the word and you can twist it and, and make it say almost anything that you want to make it say. And that's what's happened, unfortunately. We're facing years and years and years now. John said false teachers are coming out in the world. He said you've got to know the spirit of truth, the spirit of error. You've got to understand these false teachers. That was a long, long, long time ago. We've been dealing with 2,000 plus years of false teachers who will twist the word, who will change the word, who will manipulate the word, who will handle it dishonestly and claim that they're using it as truth. And then we've got all these variations of how to follow God and people pulling their hair out because they don't know what to do. Because we've handled the word dishonestly, deceitfully. Listen to what Peter said. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he said he's talked about false prophets as well. In verse 1, he said that there are many false prophets that are, that are going to go out into the world. There are many false prophets even among you, he told them. And he says in verse 2, Many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Is it any wonder today? That we live in this post-truth era where people say, my truth, your truth. Is there any wonder? The truth's been evil spoken of. Because people took the truth and they've warped it. They've changed it. They've twisted it. They made it say what they wanted to say. They found a preacher that will preach what they want to hear and tell them everything's good and everything's great. Everything's not good and everything's not great. It's not all roses. It's not all everything's sunshiny. We've got to change. We are wretched, miserable, naked, poor, and blind people who need the Lord and need to change. Every day we need to change. We need to step away from the sin that has weighted us down and pulled us down. And we need to do different. We need to be more like Christ. We need to be more like God Almighty. We need to be more like the Word teaches us to be. That's the truth, and we've got to mold ourselves to it. Not twist the Word to make what we're doing okay. Not change the Word to make us feel better in our conscience about the way we're living our lives. Don't twist the truth, and don't believe twisted truth. And then the last thing I want to bring up tonight that I think makes... Um, makes it complicated somewhat. The truth is a simple thing, but what makes it complicated is this thing called inherent bias. Inherent bias refers to the effect of underlying factors or assumptions 
that skew viewpoints of a subject under discussion. We have our biases. We've been raised a certain way. And that certain way of being raised from very young, we begin to form these biases about how things should be. And people call those biases now, in this day and age, people call those biases my truth. And they call your biases your truth. But that's not right. One's true, one's false. There's a true and a false. There's a truth and fables. These biases are not truths. They're not truths. Now, maybe you're lucky enough that you have biases that are the truth. If they're, if they're fundamentally in the Word of God, then those are good biases to have because that's what our brain will default to. It will default to a bias in a bind. When we get in, in a difficult situation and we've got to make a snap decision, then our brain is going to fall back on what it knows and what it knows best. And if that situation is a sinful situation, a difficult situation, then our brain's going to snap back to what it knows best, this bias. And hopefully that's rooted and grounded in, in God's Word. But if it's not, if it's not in God's Word, we have a responsibility to root that out and to change it and to make what our subconscious is to be the Word of God, to get those biases out couple of easy examples to pick this up in in Scripture. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 11. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought. He went back to that bias. I thought something great would happen. I thought he would come out and stand and, and call on the name of the Lord and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. That's what I thought would happen. That's what should happen. This is a great and mighty event. He's cleansing leprosy. They ought to make a show of it. It ought to be fantastic. He said, go dip in Jordan. Go dip in the muddy river Jordan and your leprosy will be cleansed. His bias said that's not right. But it was. It was the truth. It was right all along, and when he finally did that, it worked. There's a story in the book of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 34, and this is a story about a man that was blind, blind from his birth, never had seen a sunrise, never had seen a sunset, never had seen a shadow, never had seen his mother's face. He had been blind since the day he was born. And as Jesus comes down that way, his disciples said, Hey, what's the deal with this guy? Was he a sinner or was it his parents' fault that he's blind? What's going on? And Jesus said, Neither one is the case. He wasn't a sinner. It's not his parents' fault. He said, This man's blind so that you could see the glory of God. And he spits on the ground. He makes clay of the spit. And he puts it in the man's eyes. And all of a sudden, the man can see. He can see. He had been born blind. He'd never seen a day in his life and just a little old clay in the eyes and the word of Jesus Christ, the truth, and he could see. And I want you to notice the bias of his parents. I want you to notice how biased they were. The Pharisees didn't believe what had happened. They were more worried about it being the Sabbath day that this had happened on than the fact that Jesus had healed this man. And they began to question everybody around. Has this, this, this guy really been blind since birth? Has he really been blind that long? Or, or is this some kind of fake, some kind of show? And so they brought in his parents. 
And they said, this your child? Yeah, that's our child. Has he been blind since birth? Verse 20, John chapter 9. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. He said, yep, <laughs> this is him and he was born blind. But I want you to listen now. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. You know, that all seems pretty honest, doesn't it? Maybe they didn't see it happen. Maybe they didn't know. But I want you to notice these next two verses. It says, These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. They didn't want to say. Let that sink in for just a minute. Your child has been blind since the day he was born. And now he can see. And this man has healed him of this blindness from the day he was born. And they said, we don't know who this guy is that did this. They would not confess Jesus. That's how strong bias can be. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's never known Jesus, who's never heard the word preached, who's never sat in an assembly like this. And we go up to them and we tell them about this man named Jesus. It may take a little while for that to sink in. Don't get discouraged when it doesn't sink in right away because they've got all that bias built up. And it's not really their fault. It's not really their fault how they were brought up and how they were raised and what they have as those biases in their heart. But these folks, their son was healed of blindness. And they could not overcome the biases that they had in themselves enough to confess that Jesus Christ had done this. The story goes on, and they, they begin to question the young man, and they say, you know, what's going on? Who is this that has healed you? And, and to this young man, it was a pretty cut-and-dry scenario. He said, this guy healed me. This guy named Jesus, he healed me. He, he, he made it where I can see. And they said, well, what did he do? You know, it, he must be a sinner. He must do this or that. And, and the young man said, you know, I, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but guys, to me, this is pretty cut-and-dry. We know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if any man is a, is a worshiper and a follower of him, him he heareth. This man told and spoke into my, to put this clay on my eyes and spoke to me, and I can see it's pretty obvious to me that he's of God. And what did they say? Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? <laughs> you're a blind man, and you're going to teach us? You're going to tell us something about who should be of God and who shouldn't be of God, and it says they cast him out. That's how strong bias is. They were so enveloped in their beliefs that that wasn't Messiah. And I don't know if they had fully convinced themselves that Messiah wasn't coming or, or what the story was at that point in time, but they were convinced it wasn't Jesus. They were convinced that Jesus was a threat that Jesus was going to upend their way of doing things and their way of operating. And so they were unwilling to accept a notable miracle, something that couldn't be denied. Everybody knew this young man. Everybody knew that he had been blind since the day he was born. People stood there and witnessed Jesus spit on the ground and rub the clay in his eyes. They watched it happen. And they were unwilling to accept 
That's why the truth's complicated. Something gets down deep in our heart, and we don't want to let go of it. You can ask Carrie and Landry. I don't like to admit I'm wrong very much. Usually not wrong, (laughs) but I sure don't like to admit it when I am. That's kind of our attitude, isn't it? And it's easy to point out into the world and say, those folks are so biased, and those folks, they just don't know what's going on, and we have the truth, and why won't they accept it? But bring it home a little bit. What about our ways? What about the way we do things? Are you rooted in truth? And when the Bible, when you read across something in the Bible that says you better change, you better do something different, are you willing to do it? Or is the bias from the way you've done it so long going to pull you back in? Because the truth's not really that complicated. The Bible's pointed it out. We can count on three things. We can count on Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We can count on God the Father. He is truth. He proclaimed it. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, full of grace and mercy, full of truth. He is God. He is truth. His ways are true. Everything about him is true. To the fact that it says he cannot lie. God cannot lie. There is no way that anything you read in that Bible is a lie because it's the inspired word of God. It's his word. It's the truth. And if it's opposed to those things, it's a fairy tale. It's a fable. It's a falsehood. And it doesn't matter what it is. There's things that that we love to pick on. Yeah, those things are false. But there's things that are right here in our own hearts that we better take a good long look at. Because they may be that biased falsehood as well. We've got to push it out. We've got to get rid of it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about what you have heard, email us at cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash wheelerareacfc.com.